1: I wanna pray and I wanna jump right in. There's a lot that I wanna say today. In fact, I feel like I got like this protein shake I wanna give you today. and uh, and so we're going to get to it. So Jesus, thank you for every person that's here today. Lord, I do not believe that they're here by accident. God, if it's their first time or if it's their hundredth time here today, Lord, I believe that there's something from your heart for them that you want to say today. And so Lord, just us as a people, God, we choose to open up our hearts. We choose to open up our minds. Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would help us to not overcomplicate things, but you would simply help us to just let down our walls and to open our ears and receive whatever you have today. So Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for the anointing that does only what the anointing can do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well listen, this morning we're going to begin uh, a new series that's simply entitled Foundation. Uh, the underlying thought of this series is simply this is that all throughout the Bible, God uses these things called metaphors to describe our connection with him. And one of those metaphors is found in in, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. This is where the apostle Paul says this about you, and he says this about me. He says, You are God's building. Somebody say building. Listen, with that metaphor in mind, I think if we ask any builder what's the most important part of a building, the universal answer would simply be this. It's this foundation. If you know that's true, say, oh, yeah. Yeah. And the reality is because if a foundation is not squared, if it's not leveled, if it's not plumbed, or if it's not strong enough to carry the weight or the load of the desired structure, it not only causes uh, issues as the building is being built, but it will ultimately hinder the long-term stability and even the beauty of the building. So if we realize it or not, the same thing uh, that can be said about a natural building could also compare to our own spiritual lives. So if we don't take the necessary time to lay a a strong biblical foundation in our lives through the word of God, uh, we'll not only run to issues as we uh, go through life that could have easily been avoided if we would just do what the word says, or in the long term it's even this, and this is really what I want you to hear, is, is if we don't have the right foundation that God says, ultimately we'll not become who the master builder Wants us to be. So Listen, with all that said, a few days ago I was in prayer and uh, and I was just beginning to think about all the, the new people that have come to the church in the last year and how uh, there's people who have come, they're super strong believers, they've been following God for many, many years, they're just, man, pillars in the community. And, and then we have people that have come over the past year that are, are just really starting their personal uh, journeys with Christ. And as I was thinking about that second group of people, uh, the Lord spoke to me and here's what I heard him say. He said this. He said, Some are trying to hang shutters on the house before the foundation is laid. That some, the people who are new to the faith, they're trying to hang shutters on the house before the foundation is laid. Now, pl- please understand this, that, that uh, you know, shutters isn't necessarily some negative bad thing, but I, what I want us to hear today is that God is a God of order, and so He operates precept upon precept. It's just the way He moves with His people, and so even though there's some trying to grab, we can say, these spiritual pieces or these aspects of the faith, uh, th- they need to maybe Woe up a little bit and go, okay, I need to learn the foundation or the core teachings of the Bible first. Yeah. Right? So to be clear, I'm not belittling anyone for doing that. The truth is it's super easy to do. Uh, you know, after all, this is a pretty big book. Yeah? And, and I think we can all agree that a very common question when we first come to the faith is simply this, is where do I begin? Right? So if that's you and you've you know, found yourself wondering where you begin, i got some really good news for you today. Uh, the writer of Hebrews has actually already told us what our spiritual foundation should consist of. So as God is building our lives, he's already said, look, these are the things that need to be in place so you don't need to worry about what they are. And so I want us to look at that portion of Scripture together today. It's only two verses. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 6. It simply says this. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on or let us move on to perfection. Let us move on to maturity. Now, watch what he says next. Not laying again the foundation, somebody say foundation, Foundation. of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So listen, as we can see, the writer of Hebrews has already given us a list of six foundational teachings that every believer should be familiar with. Listen, these teachings are often referred to as as the doctrines of Christ. And what I want to do for the next, you know, how many ever number of weeks, I I actually want to uh, unpack what these mean to us. Because I believe if we can get them off just the page and get them in our hearts, they'll revolutionize our lives and our family's lives as well. Amen? So if by chance you didn't catch what those six are, let me say it to you again. First one was this, doctrine to Christ. Repentance from dead works, faith toward God, baptisms, notice it's plural, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So what I want to do today for the remainder of our time, I want to, I want to dive into that first fundamental teaching that's there, which is repentance from dead works. So now let me just say this. Uh, there's this. There's this idea that repentance always has to be this hard, mean thing. That's not true. Okay, And there's also this idea that repentance is only for people who are starting in the faith, not true as well. And so I'm going to ask that we would all open up our hearts and go, God, what do you want to say to me today? I'm willing to hear it. Amen. Because I believe he'll talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So listen, let's dive in. In in my opinion, uh, over the past couple of years, I have met uh, a number of people who act like uh, they're scared to use the word repent. Right? In, in fact, it's like they're so scared, they avoid talking about the whole subject together. And I don't, and I don't know necessarily why they, they don't go there, right? But in my mind, I think they think it's just easier if they live a superficial life. And, and so we all know that if you truly repent, if there's genuine repentance, it never allows us to live just some superficial life, right? And, and so I guess at least in their mind, they're thinking, let's not talk about the R word, right? Because it's just safer if we ignore that. But what these people don't understand is that the message of repentance runs throughout the really throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation almost like a thread. And so to kind of walk the dog with you for a minute, uh, you know, if we go and we just focused on the Old Testament, we would see again and again and again the message of repentance being preached not only to individuals but also to entire cities and even to nations by God's prophets. Like if you fast forward and you go to the very beginning of the New Testament, you find out this fiery prophet came on the scene. His name is John the Baptist, and he declared one single message again and again and again. It was simply this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? So after John was thrown into prison, we know that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, what did he do? He began to preach the same message as John. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right, so when it came time for Jesus to send out his disciples, right, we're just kind of moving along in the Gospels, right, he sends them out two by two. What does it say that they did? It says, so they went out and preached that people should repent. Fast forward to the end of the gospel. Jesus dies. He resurrects. He hands the torch to his disciples, and then on the day of Pentecost in Acts two, what happened? Peter stands up, kind of representing the whole gang, and he simply says, "This repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins." Fast forward eighteen chapters. Here's Apostle Paul. Right, he's going house to household and knocking on doors, encouraging people to repent. Now, if all that wasn't good enough, watch this. Go all the way to the very last book of the Bible, which we know is Revelation. Here is the Apostle John. He's having this incredible vision of the end times. And what does he see? He sees Jesus, the risen Savior, who's at the right hand of the Father, instructing five of the seven churches to repent. Are y'all seeing this? So what's so mind-boggling to me is like, okay, we, we live in, the, in, the, in a church culture today that's trying to sweep the message of repentance under the rug, right? And in doing so, what they don't understand is they're causing the masses to lose sight of the, of the repentance message within the gospel. And what's happened is they're keeping people from receiving the full blessing of repentance. Remember what they said in Acts, says, repent so that times of refreshing may come. Right? And so what happens is they say, well, let's not talk about repentance because what happens is that somehow that, that deludes uh, the message of grace. And what I want you to hear today is the bottom line is, is you can't receive grace without repentance. So the very thing that they're trying to sell to people to tell them how great they are, they can't even get it because it only comes through one way, by humbling yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, so listen, on that note, it would appear like this guy named William Booth, he's the founder of the Salvation Army, he said this, I think, prophetically years ago. Listen to what he said. He said, the chief dangers which confront the present century are religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. Man, I think William Booth was spot on, right? Listen, I can't tell you how many people in light of this conversation I've had with folks that, that I've just met loads and loads of people over the last 26 years who want forgiveness, but they refuse to repent, and it doesn't work that way. In fact, I want to be so bold to tell you this, is that, that the Bible makes it really clear that it is impossible to become a Christian. It's impossible to be born again without truly repenting of our sins. In fact, Jesus emphatically said this. He said in Luke 13:3, he said, "I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish." You see, without repentance, the, the middle wall of separation, which is our sins, remains between us and God, right? And, and it's like, you know, in our heads, sure, we may think Jesus is a nice guy. We may think he taught really nice things. We may even fancy the idea of going to heaven one day because that's where good people go. At least that's what we tell ourselves. But, but listen, according to Jesus, right, without repentance, we will only uh, not only remain separated from God in this life, but we will also perish for all of eternity, and by perish, he means uh, we will spend eternity in hell, right? Now, now listen, when, when I was preparing this message, when I got to that spot, I could hear, it was actually a woman's voice, I could hear it in my head say, oh, pastor, don't say the word hell because it makes me feel uncomfortable. Listen, have you ever stopped to, to ask yourself, like, why do I get uncomfortable about the topic of hell? Right, And I think it's really for two reasons. The first one is this. is because uh, in our spiritual DNA, God never created us to go there. The Bible clearly says, Jesus said, that he created hell for the devil and demons. So, so, so the bottom line, it doesn't settle in your spirit because you were never created to go there. right? So the second reason is I would say this. If you're, if you're feeling uncomfortable when you hear that four-letter word, then it's probably uh, your heart sounding the alarm that you're not right with God. Because here's what I've learned in 26 years of being around real Christians is they can hear about hell. And the only, thing, the only thing that moves them in that moment is that they're grieved that there's people that are going to go there. So they have a burden for the lost. They themselves are not afraid. Yeah. Right. right? And the reason they're not afraid is because they know that they stand secure in the Father's hand. Right? Yeah. Amen. So, so listen, if that's you today and you're like, man, that makes me really nervous, makes me really uncomfortable, I don't like it. I, I just want to encourage you to remember why Jesus came. But like He came. The Bible says, "We'll read it here in a minute." But he came to rescue us from our sins, and so hear the heart of God in this verse that I want to read. I'm gonna give you two really quick. Second Peter says this: "says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. How about his return? As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you. Heart pounding, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, not wanting anyone to go to hell, but everyone to come to repentance." Gang, when you really look at repentance, the reason it's not some angry thing, it's because you understand it's really just a gift of mercy. Right, right, like, like repentance is the doorway that leads us out of darkness and into the kingdom of God, right? It's what leads us out of bondage and into freedom. and so, so But at the same time, I need you to hear this, that, that Jesus will never let us skip this step on the way to heaven. Like, we don't go, oh, Jesus is cool, I'm in. No, 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 no. You're going to get to a door and you're going to slam against it. Right? So, listen, repentance, once again, is only the doorway. And that's why the Apostle Paul said this in Acts 17. He said, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. What's he saying? He's saying, like, look, you folks in the Old Testament, you, you didn't have a Savior who died for you. But now we're living under this new covenant, right, this new time, and guess what you do? Jesus died, and so now every single person is being held accountable for the decision that they make, right? Like, it, like it's truly up to you and I where we spend eternity, uh, you know, and I know it's hard to wrap our heads around it because we go, how can a loving God send people to hell? A loving God doesn't send people to hell. We choose, right? And, and so because he gave us this thing called a free will. Right. And so all I'm saying today, just kind of up here at the top, is that instead of instead of maybe us just being afraid of the word repentance, maybe we should embrace it. Right. Because it's truly, as the Bible says, the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Amen. All right. So before we move on, here's what I want to do. Like it does us no good to talk about repentance if we don't have a clue what that word means. Right, And so I wanted to define it for you for a second, but, but we're going to go the long way uh, because I want, to talk about, I want to talk about what it's not before we talk about what it is. So let me tell you what repentance is not because I think a whole lot of people are confused and they think their sins are being forgiven and the only thing they're doing is they're just making their conscience feel better. Okay, So, so let's talk about what repentance is not, Okay, biblically speaking. Number one, it is not conviction of sin. Okay, I, I know that may sound super weird, but listen, over the years I've learned that that no one truly repents of their sin until they are convicted, but not all people who are convicted repent. Right? Like last week it, it was it was so wild. I I, you know, we had the four services, place of Pat Wrights, Easter Sunday, and and there was after one of the services, I went out in the lobby and it was so wild. The people who, hey, thank you for today, thank you for today, thank you for today, and then certain people would see me. Now, I, th- I didn't take that personal because they're not rejecting me, right? But what, it, what, what was happening in that moment, because I've done what they, what they did, I've done it before, right? It, is I'm convicted, and I can't look at the man of God that told me I was wrong. So I'm going to do this, and I'm going to get out of here and hope to God when I eat my ham, I'm going to let it, it's going to find some relief, <laughs> right? The second thing is this, is, man, it, it is not the turning over of a new leaf. And listen, the gospel is not a self-help program where you and I decide that we're going to try to, try to be better and do better, right? This, listen, repentance is not a New Year's resolution, right? Listen, uh, let me just say this. The reason it's not is because that sort of repentance focuses all on ourselves and not on God, right? And what that produces is self-righteousness, not a heart that's broken and humble for the Lord. The third thing it's not, it's not saying sorry because we have to. Come on, as, as parents in this room, think about how many times we've made our children say sorry for something they did. You, you get over here right now, right? Like Now, you tell your sister, you tell your brother what, right? Like, tell them you're sorry. Do it right now. Happens in my house. <laughs> right? And, and what happens is the kid goes, <sighs> lets out a sigh, rolls her eyes real big, right? And, and, and then they say, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then you look at the, the victim and you say, okay, now you tell them that you forgive them. Do it now. <laughs> I forgive you. Okay, now hug. Hug. Because that's what we do as Christians. You hug. Right? Now, how many of you guys know that, that, that there's a possibility that wasn't a genuine heart exchange? <laughs> so, but, but here's what's funny is, is what I've noticed in life is we're trained that way as little children. Then we grow up. And our wife starts fussing at us for something we did. Sorry. I'm sorry. Right? In other words, what we're saying is, uh, in a nice word, get off my back. Right? And, and, I've, and I've watched many, many, many times where maybe the husband is the one griping. How, how dare you spend that much money? I'm sorry. Right? No, you're not. Or you take it all back. Right? Anyways, y- y- y'all get the point. So, so what happens is, is we, 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 we have this way. We learn as children. We do it as adults. And then we think that we can do the same thing to God because it gets that conviction off our back. Right? So the fourth thing is this. It's not saying sorry after we've been busted. Listen, when I think about that, my mind goes back to when I was a little kid. I don't know. I was like 9, 10 years old, something like that. Me and my brother, we thought it was a really, really good idea to uh, to go get cookies out of the cookie jar without asking for permission. And one day, I can't remember if it was my hand or his hand, but somebody's hand was in it, literally. And my stepmom saw us, like right? And, and she jumped on this man with both feet. In response, both of us are saying, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. And the only thing that was in my head, I don't know if it was his, his head, I didn't want to get whipped. (laughs) Right? And I'll never forget what she said next. Literally, as a little kid, this has stuck with me throughout all the years. She simply said this. She said, stop saying you're sorry because you're not. And you know what the truth is? Even as a little kid, I knew she was right. I wasn't sorry. Right? I wasn't sorry at all. I I liked the cookies. They were good. (laughs) Right? But so listen, what I was feeling though in that moment The reason I was saying I was sorry is because I had this thing called regret, right? And how do I know it was, you know, regret and not repentance? It's because I knew in my heart, come on adults, listen to me, because I knew in my heart if I had the opportunity to take those cookies again and not get caught, I would have did it, right? Like how many times have you been pulled over, man, you weren't sorry you were driving fast. You were sorry for that money you were about to have to pay. Right? And so I'm just trying to say that how many times do we say we're sorry because we're looking for relief from a consequence? We hate the consequence, not the action. Right? And so we're not really looking for a heart change. We just want to get free from the moment. Right? The fifth thing is this. It's not saying sorry, but. Sorry, but. Like how many times have we told people and even told the Lord, like, like Lord, I'm sorry, but if they wouldn't have done X, Y, Z, if they wouldn't have said so and so and so and so, then I wouldn't have. Right? That, y'all, that's not repentance. That's, that's blame shifting. Right? And the last thing is this. It's not telling ourselves. Uh, listen to me, church people. It's not telling ourselves, I can ask for forgiveness later. Right? Have you ever thought like, man, what I'm about to watch. What I'm about to say, what I'm about to do is so bad. It is sin. But it's okay. God will forgive me later. Anybody ever done that? Come on, I'll lift my hand. I've done it. About five of y'all to being honest. Yeah, okay, now we're go. Now we're getting freedom in the house. All right. <laughs> Listen, I... The reality is this, the older I get, the less I do that. Thank God I'm learning. But, but I've come to a realization that every time we do that, what that is, is that that's obviously it's not repentance. It's simply an attempt to abuse the grace and mercy of God. It's what it is. And, and so all I'm saying is, is, man, if we're doing those six things, you know, we, most time we walk away and we feel better because we got a relief from our conscience, but we're not truly forgiven. Right? And that's not me being critical. That's not me being judgmental. That's just me believing the Bible. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10, it describes this thing called a worldly sorrow, which is really regret that leads to spiritual death, not salvation, not forgiveness, not life. Right? All right. So with all that in mind, let's, let's shift gears. Let's talk about genuine repentance really quick. All right. So let me give you an illustration to hopefully describe, give you a mental picture of what it looks like. Let's say that there's a a man who wants to go uh, who wants to learn how to skydive, right? So he registers, and he attends the skydiving class. And, and uh, at that class, they show him, right, how to rig up his gear, how to exit the aircraft, right, how to pull the ripcord, how to land safely, do all that. And then finally the day comes uh, when, they, when they hop in that little bitty airplane, right, and they, and they fly thousands of feet up in the air, right? And at this point, the fella that wanted, so eager to, to learn how to skydive, he starts getting a little nervous, But he doesn't want anybody to think about him any different than what they already do, so he doesn't say anything. And then there comes that time where they get over the drop zone, and and they let him know, hey, man, uh, 30 seconds, it's it's time to jump, right? So they open the door, the wind's all howling in his face, right? And he looks down, right, like out of the side of the aircraft, he looks down, and he sees where his choices are taking him. Right? Like thousands of feet to the ground. Right? And, and at that point, his knees kind of become jello. Right? So they start shaking. He, he feels like he's about to throw up. And then all that moment, when he's just in that moment, the, the, the instructor screams at him, jump! And he goes, I can't! And he says these all powerful words, I've changed my mind! And he turns around and he goes back to his seat. Now, listen, while that's obviously super lighthearted, what just happened, that man, what he did, captures the true definition of repentance. Because he decisively changed his mind about something, right? He was thinking and going in one direction, but then he thought about what he was doing and he made an about face and he turned and he chose to go in the opposite direction. You see, it doesn't matter if you look at the word repentance in the Hebrew language or the Greek language. It, it captures two single thoughts. It's this. It's a changing of mind, which obviously results in a change of heart. And then secondly, a turning around. It actually means to do a 180 about face. It's a military term, about face. Right? So what I want us to see is that repentance At its core, is more than just feeling sorry for something, you know, that we've done, something we've thought, something we said. Rather, it is this, and we'll throw the next slide up. That repentance is an inner change of mind, inner change of heart, that results in an outward turning around. It causes a person to face and move in a completely new direction. Therefore, it encompasses a change of thinking, a change of heart, change of attitudes, change of values, change of direction, change of purpose. What am I saying? It results in a change of life. Like, PT and I were talking yesterday, and we were talking about basically when we came to Christ, how we were literally going in one direction and how it wasn't like, oh, this is a nice thought, let's start going to church. Right? Like, literally everything changed. Like, I understand what it means to be snatched out of the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of life. Because Quentin Self is not the same guy. I understand what it means to be a new creation, right? And so what happened was, I love it, because people found out that these guys got saved, right? Found out this guy got saved. They said, you what? Yeah. You're who? Yeah. Right? Like, couldn't believe it. Why? Because there was an obvious change in our lives that we met Jesus, Right? And so we have to understand with this idea of repentance, there's really a turning from and there's a turning to. What are we turning from? We're turning from dead works. And I don't have to tell you what that is. We all know what dead works are, right? It's just sin. And there's what? Not, so we turn from dead works, but we turn toward God. But to understand what Jesus said, to kind of give you a better idea, he said, repent for the kingdom of God's at hand. What is the kingdom of God? It's simply God's way of doing things. So in true repentance, what happened in our lives is we turn from the way we were doing things to now how God does things, right? And we didn't go back. Amen. So when it comes to this thing called repentance, it's not just about you having your sins forgiven. That's part of it, but it's really about transformation, Amen, so let me give you a handful of thoughts here, uh, basically, what kind of what happens when there's genuine true repentance. And I want you to hear this because I want you to evaluate your life to see really what happened with you. Yeah. Okay? Here's the first one is this: is that according to that same scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter seven, that there should be this thing called a godly sorrow. In other words, when, when there came a moment when I saw who God was and I saw who I was. Right, and when I saw how big God was, I saw how bad my sin was. Right, so how holy He was, how impure I was. Right, so there was that moment where I realized, oh my goodness, I'm I'm nothing like You. Right, and so what happened that moment is I began to become grieved over my sins. I didn't have some flippant attitude when, oh, well, all that wasn't a big deal. No, 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 no. Like I realized all that nailed Jesus to the cross, and that I was wrong. Am I making sense to anybody? The next thing that happened was this, is I had to come to a point where I confessed it. I confessed, and in the confession, I simply did this. I was admitting, you're right, I'm wrong, right? And so, so confession always comes to repentance to God, always. You and you alone have I sinned, O Lord, right? But there's also that second piece. Like if I've, if I've sinned and I've done something wrong to Michael, I'm going to repent to God. But guess what? There comes a time where God's going to make me go to him and get it right with him. I'm going to have to humble myself and say, Michael, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I didn't mean to hurt you. I didn't mean to do that. Would you please forgive me? Why? Because that's how relationships are restored. Right? And the next thing is, is in part of that, yes, we we are imputed. Let me use the right word, forgiveness. Right? And that's where the blood of Jesus washes us clean. The next thing, and this is where I think we get hung up on, is we don't forsake the sin. We say, God, forgive me for it, forgive me for it, forgive me for it, but we refuse to turn from it. Listen, if you want true repentance, you got to turn from it. How many of us resemble a dog that keeps returning back to its vomit? Right? So at the end of the day, man, listen, I have to forsake that thing. I have to go, you know what? Let me hate what is evil and let me love what is good. And God, you and you alone are good. Right? And the next thing is this, is, is when you do that, you have to ask the Lord, Lord, let me hate it like you hate it. Let I me mean, hate what is evil, let me love what is good. There should be something inside of you, like for me, I know all the stupid stuff I used to do. There's nothing in me that wants to go back to that, to be ignorant to go back to that. And the reality is, is I hate it because I realized it was destroying my life, yes. right? And so the next thing is this, it's a word we don't talk about much in church, it's this thing called restitution, you know, it's kind of funny. I asked PT because we had a conversation years ago. I was like, hey, remind me of this. When he got born again, when he got saved, this is Tommy's dad, by the way, if you all don't know, he's visiting, pastor we used to work with and serve with, this is kind of spiritual dad over here, right? And mama. All right, anyways, so if you drink coffee around here, he made it. All right, he's taking orders. All right, so here we go. Um, so we, we were talking about when he first got saved, he realized as he began to pray, the Lord was like, hey, you remember when you stole that? Hey, you remember when you lied about that? Hey, you need to go have restitution and you need to make it right. Write out this check and you need to go give it to them and and you need to say, Jesus has changed my life. I did this and you never knew it, but I need to make it right. We could talk about that for an hour, but we won't. All right, here we go. The next thing is this, is gratitude. Because in my opinion, it's impossible to be a person who once rejected God and now you're receiving God to not have a heart of gratitude. You can't in your heart to go, man, he forgave me for all of that, like stuff that I'm so ashamed of to even say that I used to do. Like, I don't want anybody to know that I did that stuff. Like, thank God nobody really knows, right? And, and so for me, it's super easy to worship, really, really easy to worship because I'm just grateful. Am I making sense to y'all? So let me, let me say this. Let me give you the best biblical example I can give you. Um, of basically of a life being changed. If you look at Luke, we'll throw up, it won't be the whole part, but Luke 19, there's a story about a guy named Zacchaeus, and I know there's children's songs about him because he's short, right? And so what happened was, this: he was a tax collector, he was wealthy, and basically he was a crook. And, and there came a time where, uh, you know, Jesus was coming through his town, and the Bible says he wanted not see Jesus, because he was a little guy, who climbed up a tree, and, and he was waiting for Jesus to come by, and when Jesus came, he looked up and said, hey man, I'm coming to your house today. And it says that he got all fired up, and everybody got fired up, because they're like, why are you going to his house? And, and so anyways, he gets there, and then we land in verse 8, and verse 8 says this. It says, but Zacchaeus, stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord. Y'all watch this, because this is real repentance. It says, here and now. Here and now about faith. That's what he's saying, right? He says, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount, restitution. Jesus said to him, today salvation Today, life changed, not just forgiveness of sins. Life changes has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. And he said, for I came to seek and save that which was lost. Once again, what happened? He was going one direction. He turned in another direction. All right, let me land this really quick, okay? I want to talk to, uh, to everybody in the room that's been walking with the Lord for a while. Because I think a lot of times what happens when the word repentance comes up, we think that's for newbies. And I want you to understand that it is even more so, I believe, even for us, the deeper we go into Jesus, okay? So, so let me give you two thoughts here. First of all, I want to remind you that repentance isn't just, once again, for the new people in the faith. On the contrary, it's, it's through repentance where you and I uh, keep our hearts moldable, pliable, tender, and soft in the Creator's hands. Remember, I'm the clay, he's the potter. That never stops, Right? So listen, it's through repentance, this thing would, if we, if we get alone in prayer, we start listening, what'll happen is, is the soul surgeon will show up and he'll begin to point out, you see that part right there? Your heart's a little hard. See that right there? It's a little callous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I get, I understand what they did to you, but let's not, let's not necessarily worry about that at the moment. Let's, let, let's, let's, let's cut those dark pieces out of your heart. Right? See, it's there that we begin to have the prayer, what David of old used to pray, God, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. It's where we embrace what Jesus taught on the Sermon of the Mount. Bless her, those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Because we want to see Him, God, let my heart be pure, right? So with that said, listen, I, I feel like there's people in the room today that, that you haven't valued, key word, valued genuine repentance quite like you used to. And here's two reasons why. First one is this, because you got, you got too busy comparing your sins. What I mean by that is there's that old statement that, that most people see sin everywhere but in the mirror. Right? and So we start playing that comparison game where we're constantly trying to convince ourselves, others, and God that we're better than we really are. Right, that we think, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, at least I didn't do that, at least I didn't do that, and, right? And, and, and so what happens is is when we get in that self-righteous mode, uh, we, we blind ourselves to our own sin, and instead of truly repenting, what we do is we end up managing our lack of spiritual health, right? We manage our sins. And, and so what happens is, is, is God wants to get us free, and we're too busy talking about who else needs to get free, and he wants to get us free, Right? So, so hear what I'm about to say. Once again, the, the, the more I walk with the Lord, the more I realize the deeper I get to him, the more concerned he is with me and not those people that I'm pointing a finger at. I'm talking to somebody today. Okay? And, and, so, and so what happens is, is he deals with us on what we can, um, how can I say this, of what we have control over. I have control over my heart. I don't have control over what the government's doing. I don't have control over what anybody in this church says about me, right? Or what anybody does to my family. I don't have control of all that, but I am in control of how I respond to that, right? And so I just think sometimes uh, it may be time for some of us to take a lone look in the mirror once again. You used to do that when you were younger, when the fire burned in you. Like refiner's fire, you, you knew what that meant, but now you, you've gotten mature You've arrived somehow, and you've forgotten that. I'm telling you, we never leave that fire. Amen? The second thing is this. second reason why we are hesitant to repent is because we categorize sin. And what I mean by that is we go, yep, that's all the big sins. Yep, all oh, that's the little sins. Yep, and that's, that's where my sins are at, and that's where those evil people are at. Right? And you got to understand today that sin is just plain old sin to Jesus. Right? And so, so I'm going to read something. I just want you to listen because I, I'm, I'm trying to lay something. I'm trying to ring your doorbell and let you see what DoorDash brought you today, okay? Like, like, what's the Holy Ghost telling you, right? All right, so here's the deal. Is I think when we do this, big group, little group, right, we deceive ourselves thinking that God doesn't really see our white lights, how we spin things to make things look like they're one thing when they're really another thing, right? Or how about when our impure thought patterns, our selfish agendas, how about our motives, our ambitions, how about our conceit? our self-centeredness, our self-reliance, our lack of integrity, our lack of honor for authority. Like if, you, like if you can with a clear conscience blast anybody that sits in the Oval Office, you're wrong because it's against the Word of God. Doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but I'm telling you, if you can speak about a man in authority without honor in your heart, you're wrong, okay? Listen, how, how about this? How we dishonor our parents make fun of them while they're getting old or whatever it is, or how about we provoke our children to wrath, how about we can't keep our word, we gossip, how about the unforgiveness in our hearts that we're bitter, right, we, we have unforgiveness there, right, how about our foul language, our critical tongue, our jealousy, our envy, our covetousness, our greed, our vanity, our lack of love, our racism, right, our prejudice ways, right, how about our lack of teachability, our stubborn, our like, we could keep going, Right? Like, what I want us to see is, once again, sin is sin no matter what category you want to put it in. And and so maybe we need to get back to repenting. Like, like to understand that that person that you're gossiping about, your gossip is just as serious to Jesus as what they're doing. Right? Like, if you can't keep your word, just as bad. Right? Like, if you can go sleep with whoever you want to sleep with or look at whatever you want to look at or drink whatever you want to drink or, or do whatever you want to do without feeling, you got something wrong. Am I making sense? Listen, if if your mouth, if the words coming out of it don't honor Jesus, something's wrong. If you got to whisper your cuss word, it should tell you it's wrong. Am I making sense, y'all? We are a holy people. Our lives should give Him glory. Amen? And I'm not saying it because I'm perfect. I'm saying it because we're all in this process. All right. On that note, stand to your feet there's an old thing that I want you to hear and it's simply this is that if you do the simple thing God will do the complicated thing if you do the small thing he'll do the great thing if you do the possible thing he'll do the impossible thing what is that if you say God I truly repent he'll do the transformation
0: what a great word right but it's it becomes a great word when we apply it okay Let's bow our hearts and our heads before the Lord. Come on. Father, this word repentance, it didn't begin with us. It began with you. Because you knew that that was the only way that we could come close. Lord, I thank you for the word of God that says as we draw close to you, you draw closer still. And Lord, that it's in those times of repentance, of recognizing or we say, God, I desperately, again, Again and again I need you Lord But yet it's those words again As we come to the Lord that makes it so special to you Lord And I thank you that you give us the ability to do that Lord here this morning each person that's here Lord each person that is looking to you Each person that this morning you've just by your spirit put your fingerprint Or you've touched on areas of our life Lord as we bring that to you right now Lord, it's like you wiping us clean from head to toe. Lord, you just, again, a clean slate, the ability to apply the very blood that you shed upon a cross that said without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. So Lord, as we repent, we recognize what you did on the cross is what brings the application of forgiveness to our lives lord this morning we recognize that and we say lord thank you thank you thank you with a heart of gratitude lord a heart of sorrow that we've done such things but a heart of gratitude because you've done such a thing lord thank you for dying and giving your life for us we've been bought with the price we're no longer our own And we once again confess this morning, we are yours. Lord, I am yours. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. And we thank you for your great work in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody agreed, said amen. Amen. Come on, put your hands together for the Lord. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.